Jackson on the drive, kicks it out for Mann. Mann, three-pointer, bang! Oh, what a man! Magic down the middle, just what I thought, a hook shot at 12, good! Here's Michael at the foul line, a shot on Elo, good! The Bulls win! They win! Now that's a tail by Murph, underneath the DJ, right there! Going up over Bell, fall away! Yes! 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 What's going on, guys? Welcome to another 2023 playoff preview here on Dime Dropper. As always, getting fans for diehard fans of their team to come represent against one another. And before we get started, you already know the deal. Follow us on social media, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, at Dime Dropper Pod for all NBA, LA sports content. And subscribe on the YouTube channel, hit the notification bell so you know every single time we post a video. For this episode, very special series, the NorCal Showdown between the Sacramento Kings and the Golden State Warriors. Here representing the defending champion Warriors is Andre, also on ball Steph on Twitter, has a great following, great knowledge of the game. And representing the Sacramento Kings is a longtime local fan of the Kings, <laughs> Drew. Both of you guys, thank you so much for joining me. How are we feeling? uh excited N nervous nervous excited i know i know for andre this is a regular thing even 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 for you uh right darian like it's you guys are just constantly in the playoffs this is the first time in 17 years that the kings are in the playoffs so definitely excited but definitely also nervous and we are about 24 hours away from game one and the first playoff game to be played in sacramento in 17 years Incredibly excited. Can't wait to see it. I mean, this is going to be some beautiful, beautiful offensive basketball, I'm sure. Andre, how are we feeling, man? This is a, a different situation for the Warriors. Starting out a series on the road um, for the first time since 2014 against us? I would, I think, I would say 2019 in the finals against Toronto. Right, but, right. Uh, but, de but in the Western Conference, yeah, you're right, in 2014. Um. It's funny because uh, we've had 27 straight series of, of, of winning at least one game on the road. That's a number that gets thrown around a lot. Um, and, and people, you know, look at our road record this year and they, they want to believe that, you know, and, and obviously for good reason, right? Any team that's 11 and whatever, what was it, 11 and 30 on the road, it's not necessarily a good sign. But there's a sample size of nearly a decade that suggests that when it's in, in this type of environment, in this type of setting, like, you can expect them to at least split. Uh, and, and obviously in 2013, kind of the inception, not necessarily of the dynasty, but of this core, um, you know, you, they split against the Spurs on the road um, as the, or, or even Denver in the first round because they were the six seed, Denver was the three seed. Then you go to, you know, that Spurs series, same same type of story. Uh, that obviously, like you said, game one against the Clippers in 14 and so on and so forth. So, um, hey, I feel I feel good about it. Uh, the Kings, that, that part of the bracket was probably more favorable than, you know, playing uh, Denver in the second round and then whoever in the conference final. So uh, it's going to be interesting to see what happens game one because I think that's probably the biggest game of the series. Let's start out with Drew. Um, first, just give us a little background, man, on your, like, fandom, you know, when you started watching the Kings, all that, since it's your first time on the channel. Yeah, 
been a Kings fan since I think my first full season of watching was the lockout shortened 98, 99 season. And I, okay. I was, I was real young. So I thought it was going to be like this. I thought it was going to be that way forever. I thought the Kings were always going to be good. I thought the Kings were, had always been good. 2006 comes around. They stopped being good. I feel like I was duped, you know, uh, so many painful losses to the Lakers. I mean, three straight years, they faced off against one another in the playoffs. And then of course they had that classic series in 2002 and really that, that knee injury to Weber in 2003, that was the, that was kind of the beginning of the end of that core. And I did not know that prior to 1998 that the Kings were just bad. And outside of just that eight-year window, they had just always been bad. And so we just got back to being what we always were, just bad. Um, and so it's been 17 years of just, just, just mediocrity and just poor management and poor basketball decisions. And I, I've been here throughout all that. I've been here through you know, the relocation stuff as well. I mean, there were two different relocation things that were supposed to happen that never did because the city fought to get their team. And it's, it's been such a rewarding experience this season, having said all that, that I just said, having experienced all that to, to finally be able to just enjoy good basketball. So yeah, I've been a fan for a long, long time. It's, it's, it's really, really cool. Finally seeing them be good again. And, and it's just, you know, I look at kids my, roughly the same age that I was when the Kings first became a good team back in the late nineties, early to mid two thousands. And this is a whole new generation of Kings fans that, you know, hopefully are about to experience a lot of winning, which is really, really exciting for the city. That's awesome, man. I mean, I'm, a, I'm obviously as a Clipper fan, you know, I sympathize. Um, I personally haven't experienced as many, um, you know, losing seasons in my time as a fan, but, I can relate to the whole poverty franchise thing and just people saying that, oh, but they're the Kings, but they're the Clippers. They're not going to do this. So mm-hmm. let's just go into this season now. You know, you come in with the expectation of maybe being be- obviously being better than last season. You know, you brought in Sabonis last year, midway through the season, traded Halliburton. The media killed you guys for that. Almost <laughs> like they underestimated how good of a player Sabonis was and how good yeah. of a tandem he could have been with De'Aaron Fox. You draft Keegan Murray, who's been a great success. Talk to us about this year's Sacramento Kings team, Mike Brown coming in. Mm-hmm. What has made this Kings team so great, the best offensive rating of all time? Let us know how this season has gone from your perspective. Yeah, I think anybody who told you for the season that they predicted 48 wins and a 119.6 offensive rating and you know to have Mike Brown as a coach of the year finalist, De'Aaron Fox as a clutch player of the year finalist, two all-stars, Fox and Sabonis, if you predicted all that, then I I would have I would have called you absolutely insane. I don't think anybody could have expected that. But I think I think what really really got this team started off on the right foot was the hiring of Mike Brown. I think Mike Brown just you know was right down the road. Obviously, Andre I'm sure is very very familiar with the work that he did there for six years and all the titles that he won there, and he knows what it takes to turn around uh, really a poor culture and what it took to get this organization moving in the right direction and he knew that everybody had to be on board with it and I think he came in and from day one he said I'm going to hold not only myself but everybody to that standard and it's really got this ship moving in the right direction like these guys have all bought in everybody in the organization has bought in and I think that that was the one crucial element of the offseason that the Kings had absolutely hit a home run with and Monty McNair made the absolute right hire I think when you looked at that initial list of candidates Mike Brown certainly separated himself from the pack, just given his his success at previous stops. I think he was unfairly really anointed as a, as a retread. You know, I, I don't think that he got a fair shot that second time in Cleveland. I don't think he got a fair shot with the Lakers even, you know, after one pretty successful season. So 
Mike Brown was was really just he was he was the obvious candidate. So he was the right hire. The Kings got that right, and I think that really got things moving in the right direction. But yeah, as far as personnel goes, I certainly had my I was certainly skeptical about De'Aaron Fox and Sabonis together. Um, I I I didn't necessarily hate the trade. I, I thought that it could have been a win-win trade. That's what it certainly looks like right now uh, for both the Pacers and the Kings because definitely, obviously, Tyrese has been awesome. Um, but Sabonis certainly was. I mean, he, he, people people were talking about this guy as if he was a thirty-five-year-old. <laughs> journeyman center on a fat contract that was just going to be a whole bunch of dead money and and that he was in the twilight of his career no 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 DeMontis Sabonis I think anybody who pays attention to the league knows that he's a very 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 skilled talented capable big and putting him next to Fox is obviously I mean, that that's been the big thing personnel wise is putting those two guys together um, he's been sensational this year should be should be an all-nba selection um, he's obviously elevated Fox and then the additions like you said of you know Keegan Murray drafting him the Kings got killed for that too by the way um, nobody, nobody thought they should have taken Keegan Murray over Jaden Ivey, but here we are. He's, he now holds the record for most three pointers made by a rookie and Kevin Herter and Malik Monk. I mean, those, those two acquisitions were also huge as well. The, the, the spacing, um, the shooting gravity that those two provide for Fox as a bonus to work, um, and to really make teams pay for, you know, sacking off of them and crashing in on a guy like De'Aaron Fox, who's almost a guaranteed paint touch. I mean, that's been huge this season. I think it's a huge reason why the team has had such a great season offensively. Yeah, De'Aaron Fox having a career year, of course, 25 points, four rebounds, and six assists on 51% shooting. DeMontis Sabonis, the same, 19 points, 12 rebounds, and seven assists on 61.5% shooting. I mean, the guys have just been amazing. Yeah, um, Dude, I can feel the authenticity of fandom coming from you. This is awesome. I love this. <laughs> um, let's go to Andre now. You guys have had a roller coaster of a season, beginning with Draymond Green's punch in the offseason to Jordan Poole. Give me the rundown of the vibes, the bad road record, how the big three have looked this year, the whole young versus, you know, the youth timeline of it, not, you know, separate timeline thing. Dre, you do a really good job of summarizing these kind of things. So just give me a, a summary of the Warriors season. For those that don't watch them every game, why have the defending champs dropped off so much, especially defensively? Yeah, um, it's been about three or four seasons in one, I mean. You look at like kind of like the last dance, right? And you see a lot of stuff behind the scenes that people never even realized took place in a dynasty. Um, so, like you said, starting with the punch, um, obviously that happened, uh, you know, during uh, it, before the season started. So that's not a great way to start it off. Um, we we go to we have the you know the Japan games, so that kind of takes your legs out. Then you start the season already playing the most games of last year. We had the most back-to-backs this year, or I think we were tied for second, something like that. I'm pretty um, sure we had the most, as yeah, usual. Yeah, the Clippers might have had the most. The Warriors were like second or third or something. They were one of the most okay. uh, for back-to-backs. And then, yeah, and then so that like the punch kind of set the, set the tone for the season because you could see Draymond's willingness to be a vocal leader like he has in the past was, was severely diminished. He had to earn back the trust of his teammates. He kind mm-hmm. of, you know, settled in, didn't really – necessarily um you know evoke that level of leadership he traditionally does and slowly but surely i mean throughout the year you had multiple steph injuries that took him out for a few weeks the the labrum tear the the lower leg injury um then you had you know uh wiggins with the uh the adductor strain 
Next thing you know, you know, he has the, obviously the personal uh, situation with his father that he had to take care of. And it was just a tumultuous season from multiple standpoints. I think Jordan was also very up and down. Many uh, people would argue he had a down year since last year. Uh, we started off 0-8 on the road, which was which is obviously not ideal. But, you know, the reason for that, you, you look at those games, we just couldn't close the deal. Uh, you know, look at Charlotte. You look at a team like Orlando or Detroit. Um, a lot of these, you know, bottom-feeding teams that we just couldn't close out on the road to start off the season. Uh, Steve Kerr playing, you know, five-man hockey lineups, substitution lineups and patterns. Um, like you said, the two timelines situation with Wiseman. You got Kaminga, Moody, um, Patrick Baldwin Jr. A, a bunch of these young players, Ryan Rollins taking up a roster spot, not a two-way spot, a roster spot. So Joe Lacob sort of uh, fa- thought thought of this season as an opportunity to put his foot down and, uh, you know, almost double down on the two timelines concept. And unfortunately it took away from the roster spots that we needed to sign vets when guys went down to give us some margin for error, to give us some breathing room. Um, Guys who know how to play the game in terms of this system uh, from a defensive standpoint, from a discipline standpoint. So you look at all these moving parts and factors and you can understand why, you know, the season's been up and down. But ultimately, I think, you know, at the trade deadline, it was a huge deal that we were able to get GP2 back, trading Wiseman for those five-second rounders and then flipping that into GP2. Um, And I think that was a message to the core that we still believe that you guys can get it done. We've seen what you can do this year, and we're going to give you guys the best chance possible. Uh, We're going to expand and and increase that margin for error as much as we could with a guy who's proven last year to be a championship-caliber piece. So, yeah, I mean, ultimately, from the punch, from the injuries to the youth movement, um, I can understand why, you know, things have not been what they were last year. But on the flip side, defensively, we were as low as, you know, the the low 20s this year, 22nd, 24th, you know, 18th. But we kind of settled in at, you know, at the end of the season at 14th. So, you know, obviously not ideal. You want to be kind of a top third defensive team, but we're top half. And so... That's a good thing. Obviously, with guys missing time, that's kind of a bright bright sign. And then, obviously, we're a better offense than we were last year. We're top 10 this year. Last year, we finished 17th. So, all things considered, we ended the season pretty strong, 8-2. and two. On the road, we, we won uh, two or three games in a row on the road uh, to end the year. Um, and, again, it's not necessarily the, the winning of those games as much as the process of those games, like against Denver, right? People like to point out, you know, you lose that game without Jokic, but we shot the ball really poorly. We didn't really, we played probably a C minus level game, like very poorly. And we were within a possession and we were down by as much as 12 points in that fourth quarter. So you see the signs and obviously they still have to put it together. It's not a done deal, but I like the trajectory and I like how towards the end of the season, we've been able to put things together. But most importantly, we're healthy leading up to the playoffs with Wiggins coming back. Um, and for game one, expectedly, it was good stuff. Um, yeah, definitely been a roller coaster season for Golden State. Seems like they started to play better towards the end. Drew, let's go to you. Tell me where you think, first of all, what's your confidence level going into this series? Because you are the higher seed, but mm-hmm. I've never seen a higher seed this, like, I don't want to say disrespected, but. Mm-hmm. I haven't talked to one person that thinks the Kings are going to win this series yet. And I think they're being a little harsh. 
Um, I feel like you're not getting getting a fair shake here. Let me know your confidence level. And also, now we get on the court, you know, what do you think you guys can do to exploit this Warriors team? Uh, I Look, I don't blame anybody for not having confidence in this Kings team. I, I, I don't. And I think there were a lot of things that Draymond said on his podcast that Kings fans and, and people in the media around here felt away about it. I don't think he said anything wrong. I really don't. He's he was he, he hit the nail on the head. There's a ton of experience with the Warriors. There's really none with the Kings. You're looking at their main rotation guys. The only guy who has a ring by way of the Warriors and is in the rotation is Harrison Barnes. Uh, the rest of the playoff minutes on this team come from essentially Matthew Dellavedova, who even if he were healthy, he would not be playing very much. But he's injured as well. So, look. I, I I don't I don't take any offense to it. I don't I'm not I'm not overly sensitive about it. I get it. I get it, man. This is this core of the Warriors has four championships together. There's no there's no reason why people should give the Kings the benefit of the doubt. But uh, I would say my confidence level is probably it's probably around an eight out of ten. If we did it if we did it on a scale out of ten, I'd say eight. And 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 a big reason why is because of really it's the offense. I mean, this this offense really. I was watching back the first couple of matchups early on in the season, Andre, um, when they played at Chase Center, and that team that I was watching out there, uh, the Kings, that is, not the same team that that they are now. I think really by late December, January, that offense really got going. Uh, it it really finally these guys finally you know took that next step, started trusting each other a lot more. And we're just running that thing uh, like a well-oiled machine finally. And it took some time, but they finally got there. And that's when the spike in offensive rating started. I mean, that's when it really started humming. And uh, even in February, when Kevin Herter shooting absolutely cratered, the offense still looked good. And what that tells me, and a lot of the accounts that I follow, X's and O's accounts, guys around the guys around the national media, what they always seem to say about this Kings offense is, is that the process never changes. Like, it could be the first quarter. It could be a blowout. It could be a close game in the clutch late in the fourth quarter. Aside from maybe giving De'Aaron Fox the ball every now and then to kind of just do his thing, because I look, he he should be winning that clutch player of the year award. If he doesn't, then that's a that's a war crime. But they they always run their stuff. You know, you can't get them away from what they're doing. So they run the they run their wide set that wing to wing screen. They run that elbow flash where they hit Sabonis, and they run a lot of zoom stuff out of it. Um, they run a lot of post splits. Obviously, Warriors fans who are watching the series will probably see a mirror image in that sense because they run a ton of splits from both the high post and on the block. Um, they they do this stuff all the time. It doesn't matter what the situation is; they will always run their stuff, and 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 that's a big reason why. Obviously, they they've they've ended up with a really really high offensive rating and 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 the and the best offensive rating in the league. Um, so. I think my confidence is there mostly because of the offense. I, I do think that obviously getting Wiggins back is huge. Now, how he'll look out there, we'll see because he's been away for a couple months, right? But they still have GP2. They still, you know, Dante DiVincenzo, also pretty good defender. And Draymond is still, I mean, he's still so elite defensively. For some reason people thought that he lost a step. I, I see some of the stuff he does out there on a night to night basis. So I'm just like, oh my goodness, like this guy can still bring it every single night. And I, and this has been talked about a lot in Sacramento, uh, at least on Twitter. People are not giving Kayvon Looney the credit that he deserves. I don't think that Sabonis is just going to like walk all over the guy. Kayvon Looney is a very capable defender. Guarding, He should be really solid guarding Sabonis one-on-one. I think Sabonis will still get his. It's just not going to be easy. And in space, Kayvon's really, really good. I mean, if he gets switched onto a guard or a wing, he can hold his own on the perimeter. So 
that kind of stuff they'll have to solve. There might be some pre-switching. Maybe, you know, they, they might counter with certain lineups, that type of thing, in order to get the matchups that they want. But as far as exploiting the Warriors' defense, I'm mostly looking at Steph, Poole, you know, when he's on the court, uh, and and maybe Clay, who who defensively uh, isn't anywhere near the level like he used to be, right? But I mean, they still have, the Warriors still have enough. I, I look at the Warriors roster and I think, oh, how many plus defenders do they have? They've got a lot more than the Kings. So uh, there will be lineups that Steve Kerr can use in order to neutralize certain lineups that the Kings throw out there. Um, defensively, obviously, for the Kings, the big question is who's who's gonna who's gonna stop Steph? <laughs> like, what's the game plan there? Nobody really can. So how do you how do you take him away or not or try to take him away or at least mitigate some of what he does? There's going to be a lot of things that the Kings are going to have to figure out on both offense and especially on defense. But I, I think the confidence level with me offensively is there to where I, I, I do think that, you know, a lot of points will be put up on the board. And I do think that these are going to be these are all going to be shootouts. We're not going to be looking at games where these teams barely crack 100. And, you know, it, it just whoever gets to 130 wins and, and the Kings have won enough of those games this season for me to get, you know, to, to have confidence in that sense. Dre, and I'll, I'll um, you know, reverse this question back to Drew as well. I think the big thing for the Warriors, yeah, how are you going to stop this Kings team? Um, but also, how are you going to look to exploit them defensively? Because everybody's talking about the Kings defense not being good enough to win a series against a team like the Warriors, you know, finishing the league or finishing in 25th in defensive rating. So, Dre, how do you think you're going to be able to exploit this Kings team uh, defensively? And also, just let me know how Steph and Clay have looked defensively this season. Because we know, as Drew said, Draymond is still looking pretty good defensively. But let me know how Steph and Clay have looked defensively. Because when I watched those games you mentioned earlier, those early East Coast games that when the losing streak, I actually watched those full ones. And Steph, there were two things I was a little concerned about. One, his defense didn't look as sharp as last year's playoffs. And two, he wasn't closing games the way we are accustomed to seeing him. So let me know about the form of the big three going into this and how you feel like you can exploit the Kings defensively. Yeah, so um, I'm pretty confident going in. Obviously, uh, the Kings are a team to be respected because, you know, seeding and and, and, and being the, the number one offensive rating is no joke. Like, it's historically teams that are top three in, in seed and number one in offense. I mean, those, those teams tend to do very well. Um, that translates well in the playoffs. The problem is obviously, like you mentioned, defensively being ranked 25th. Um, the way we I would attack that personally, and I, I would expect the Warriors to to do as well, um, is just attacking the paint. Um, I, I was watching actually some of those uh, previous matchups as well, and um, it seemed to me that the the formula here is, you know, a lot of downhill stuff, um, dribble drive kind of. You know, and, and Sacramento, I expect them to blitz. I expect Mike Brown to blitz Steph, which tells me that if we're in advantage situations, you're going to have to make the right reads, make the right plays, um, and not necessarily have to, you know, hunt for threes. You can get to the rim. You got GP2, you got Wiggins, you got Kaminga, uh, you got Jordan Poole who can create off the bounce, get to the basket, get to the free throw line. So um, from that standpoint, I, I don't think we should try to outshoot the Kings. If we try to outshoot the Kings, the series is going to go longer than it should. I think if, if our game plan is, you know, um, offensively, we got to attack Sabonis. Um, you know, I Steph can kind of get to his spots. They're going to have to make a decision. Are we going to trap? Are we going to drop? Um, you know, are we going to, you know, you got to go over the screen, right? You can't go under. So, you know, are you going to ice the, co you know, what, what coverage are you going to run? 
I'd expect them to blitz. So if you're playing an advantage regardless, um, I don't think the Warriors are going to have much trouble doing what they do, whether it be, you know, create an open shot at the basket or at the three-point line. Um, now, as far as Steph and Clay's defense, uh, yeah, I, I don't think they've been necessarily what they were last year, but I think as the year's gone on, um, their legs have gotten underneath them. Uh, Steph, Steph's been okay defensively this year, I think. Earlier on, you know, maybe he – I'd give him around a C-plus, but I think by now he's around like a solid B. Solid B. Um, he was not what he was last year, but I think in the playoffs, depending on how things are refed, because, you know, sometimes he'll pick up a couple ticky-tack fouls. Um, but I, I expect him to to be solid like he was last year, um, at least at least for most stretches of the game, right? Like – if you know he's 35 years old, he's going to have the, the the responsibilities of leading the offense. But I expect him to be committed and focused on that end when the time comes. And then as far as Clay goes, Clay Clay's been up and down. I think Ron Adams said it, the Warriors' assistant coach. But even before he said it, I I've been saying it on spaces and I've been saying it throughout the season. Like Clay's just been up and down defensively all year. I kind of like him on uh you know. The, the Harrison Barnes or the Keegan Murray types as opposed to De'Aaron Fox, um, those type of dudes, because you want them, you know, at 6'7", six, 6'7", seven, six, six, seven, that frame, you want them on guys who, you know, while they're moving off the balls, Clay understands those routes, he understands those movements and those angles off the screens, as opposed to having to def- defend quick guards who can get to their spots who are shifty. Um, and they're a problem, man. De'Aaron Fox is a problem, like, we're going to have to throw multiple bodies on them. It's not going to be a Wiggins thing. It's not going to be a GP2 thing. It's going to be a team thing. Team defense wins out, right? You have to have a scheme and you have to stick to it. So it's not going to be a one-man show defensively or offensively. Uh, it's going to have to be multiple guys stepping up to the plate. You're going to need, you know, obviously to switch on point on target. You're going to have to have good communication. Uh, if you're going to play guys like Kaminga, he's going to have to be sharp and on point. He can't make too many mistakes out on the floor. Um, and his rim pressure is valuable. So if he can be a plus defensively, then, you know, I expect him to be a plus on both ends. Um, a lot of question marks, not, not a ton, but there are some, there's a handful, but Steve Kerr is a, is a different type of coach in the playoffs. He goes to different sets. He goes to different, um, different lineups. He goes to guys he tends to trust more often. So you're going to see a more, um, kind of chiseled type of, you know, game plan from the Warriors as opposed to this season where on a night-to-night basis, Clay's kind of, you know, one night he's guarding pretty well, the next night he's not. He can key in on whatever matchup he has, and guys can key in on their matchups, guys can key in on the game plan. And um, on both ends, I expect them to be pretty solid. Uh, and but and, uh, and last point here, for the Kings, in terms of what they can offer defensively, um, Herder's not a horrible defender, he's just limited. Uh, Fox, again, Fox is okay, but they don't necessarily have an elite defender other than Davion Mitchell off the bench um, that I could think of. And and he's he's a really good point of attack guy. Uh, offensively, he's actually not as bad. I know people like to say he's not he's not good offensively, but he, he can play make a bit, and he's an okay scorer. But he's obviously not necessarily like a plus. He's not necessarily going to lead your offense, you know, one-to-one with Jordan Poole, bucket for bucket. But defensively, if you – if they can get away with throwing out, throwing them out there for 15 minutes, you know, if they can do that, then that could help it. Defense wins series. So you're going to need to have stretches where you can garner enough stops and be confident that that could lead to buckets because there's going to be points in the series 
where the Kings can't hit shots and they're going to have to get stops. And there's going to be a point in the series where the Warriors can't hit shots and they're going to have to get stops. So whoever can win that battle is usually wins out the series. You kind of see that against Memphis last year, uh, against Boston last year with the Warriors. Like, teams hit shots, man. Game one against Boston, they hit shots. Teams hit shots. But who can be that team that steps up and says, okay, schematically we're going to get into your airspace, we're going to contest, we're going to box out, we're going to do all those things, and it'll lead to transition opportunities. So whoever can kind of you know muster up those possessions and enough of them is probably going to win out. Let me ask you this, Drew. Um, with Given Mike Brown's history with the Warriors and you guys running similar kinds of offensive sets, as you mentioned, um, with you, you guys, the Nuggets and the – you two and the Nuggets are the three teams in the NBA to me that just play very differently than everybody else. Mm-hmm. I feel like you guys have much more off-ball movement, um, off-ball screens, more motion kind of offenses where all other teams are super like high pick and roll yeah. based. I love the way you guys play basketball, you, both your teams. Um, how much of an advantage do you think having Mike Brown, you know, and then also Harrison Barnes who played 82 games this year. I didn't know about that. So good yeah. for him. Yeah. And um, yeah, just having those former Warriors, um, do you think that'll give you any kind of advantage? I think Mike Brown knowing the the main part of the rotation of the Warriors. I mean, like Steph, Clay, um, you know, GP, uh, Dre, being around those guys for you know for more than a couple of years each, and then obviously for basically his entire five, six year tenure or whatever it was in Golden State. Yeah, that'll that'll be good. I, I think I think he'll know uh, what at least he think would be able to maybe slow those guys down, but obviously you can't take them completely away. So I think his familiarity with them will help in a sense. Um, I, I just, I mean, it, it's still Stephen Curry, Clay Thompson and Draymond Green though. Like what, what can you do really, even if you are familiar with them to take them away? Um, I do that. I think, I think that's a very interesting subplot to all this. I, 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 I think that him having just been there, having just helped them get to a title. I, I saw a lot of warriors cause I'm, I'm an, I'm a Niners fan and I'm a San Francisco giants fan as well. And there's a lot of crossover between those two fan bases and warriors fans. So during basketball season, I see a lot of my Niners and giants mutuals complaining about warrior stuff. And, and the main thing this year has been the defense. Although like Andre said, it has, it has stabilized a lot um, as of late. And so many of my warriors fans tell me, oh, man, losing Mike Brown was huge. Mike Brown is the reason why the defense isn't good anymore. I don't think that's, it i don't think that's necessarily the only reason why but obviously mike brown at least before this season his his uh perception league-wide as a coach was oh he's a defensive specialist this guy this guy knows defense has always had teams in the upper half defensively every single year he's been a coach and this year was the first year where it's just been the complete inverse. He he, he now has the best offense in the league and has yeah. a not good defense. So it, it's, it's, I think it'll be interesting that he, that he is familiar with these guys. I think it's interesting that a lot of the stuff that, you know, some of that warriors juice did rub off on him in a sense, and that he's got this offense playing at a very, very high level. But as far as how much it'll help the team, I'm not quite sure. I mean, maybe if he throws just complete junk out there, right? Like he throws the kitchen sink two, three zone, three, two zone, Boxing ones, I don't know, triangle and twos, I don't know. Beyond that kind of stuff, I really don't know exactly what he can do to really throw this Warriors offense off balance. I mean, they're they're still they're still who they are. They're still the team that has won four titles and uh, is the second highest score uh, second highest scoring team in the league. So we'll see. We'll see. Two questions defensively: Do you uh, before Davion Mitchell comes in the game, who do you throw at Curry to start? And secondly, Draymond Green, Curry, 
high pick and roll, one of the most <laughs> lethal plays in this era. Mm -hmm. What are you going to do to defend it? Andre says you guys are going to blitz and force someone else to beat you. Um, what I thought, you know, we did a space recently with Andre and, and Ricky G and a couple Warriors fans, and I was, you know, what he said was interesting about the first quarter of the first game. It'll be interesting to see what Mike Brown's lens is, like how he's going to defend mm -hmm. his own former team. So let me know who you throw at Curry to start the game and what will you do on the pick and roll? Uh, Fox. It's got to be Fox. I mean, yeah. I think Andre's right in saying that Herter is not a horrible defender. He's he's just, you know, physically, he's just limited. I, I don't really ever see Kevin Herter missing a rotation. I don't ever see Kevin Herter out of position all the time. He's just, you know, he just doesn't have the lateral movement. He he doesn't, you know, he's not agile. He he can't really keep guys in front of him like that. Um, so it 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 can't be Kevin. Um, and Keegan Murray, I mean, Keegan Murray got his ankles took one time by Steph. Like it was either the first or second matchup. It was pretty bad. So definitely not Keegan. And um, obviously Sabonis is gonna stick a little bit closer to the basket, probably guard either Loon or Dre. And and then you got Harrison Barnes out there, and and maybe they'll they'll cross match between Looney and Draymond. I don't know. But as far as the candidate to guard Steph to start off games. I mean, it's, it's gotta be Fox. I think he's the only guy who, who, who has that lateral movement, um, who has, who has the agility and kind of the quick twitch movement in order to at least sometimes stay in front of him and, and sometimes keep him at bay. Um, I do agree that I do agree that the Kings will blitz, that they will send two bodies at, at Steph. The thing that worries me about that is once you pass out of that trap and if you hit Draymond, I mean, Draymond get four on three. Draymond in an advantage position like that, he's gonna be, he's gonna be making the right reads all day. It happened. It happened a couple of times um, in their second matchup because Steph got off to a seven for seven start and four four from three that second matchup at Chase Center. And Mike Brown had seen enough. He's like, I'm I'm putting two on the ball against this guy. And a couple of possessions in a row, he just threw out of it, hit Draymond, and Draymond made some really simple reads for easy buckets. So I don't know. See, that's a terrifying thing. Is Okay, sure. This guy will guard Steph. Okay, sure. You'll do this on pick and roll against these two. And then we, you know, we haven't even talked about how they can run DHOs as well. I mean, Draymond just roving at the top of the key, wing to wing, just running DHOs with Clay and Steph. That's been the other signature thing, you know, aside from the post splits and the pick and rolls during this dynasty is stray quarterbacking from the high post, right? Not on the wings. I, I see teams struggle to guard the Kings DHOs because of their shooting gravity and because of you know, how hard Herter and Keegan run off those screens and Fox getting a running start obviously gives them a really, really nice uh, advantage going towards the basket when he's got a full, when he's got a full head of steam. Guarding a DHO against the Warriors is a completely different thing in the sense that, well, you've got two of the greatest shooters of all time yeah. running off of those DHOs. So it's, it's, Again, it's going to be interesting to watch. I think I think it will be very, like you said, it'll be very interesting. That first quarter of game one, how is Mike Brown going to feel out this process? How is he going to guard these guys? But in my head right now, I can't think of too many answers to that question as far as how do you neutralize these guys? I'm not quite sure. And real quick, is Sabonis, you know, defensively people talk about him a lot. You watch him on a nightly basis. Is he, yeah. do people, are people too harsh on him or do you think he really has a chance to get in real trouble this series? I think people are too harsh on him. I think okay. even before the season, I I wasn't giving him enough credit with his uh, his lateral movement, his his ability to stay in front of guys in space, um, his ability to really you know at least <laughs> Kings film, his ability to to at least just you know at least you know ride a guy's hip and at mm. least allow the help and at least allow the help defense to come over to kind of take that away. I, I just I I think he was unfairly pointed out as a guy who would just get cooked in space so he's not that and he's got good fit speed and he's decent in space 
However, against the Warriors specifically, yeah, uh, I can definitely imagine scenarios where, look, Steve Kerr's Steve Kerr's no fool. He knows who know he knows who's behind the behind Sabonis on that bench, which is nobody. So if you get this guy in foul trouble, be it attacking him in the paint, like Andre said, like that that might be something that they that they look into because the Kings don't really have any true rim protection. Sabonis isn't a rim protector. I mean. Take it right into his chest in the paint. See how many fouls you can draw, right? Um, how right. many foul, how many cheap fouls can you draw on the perimeter where you know they they blitz a ball screen or they just rent, you know, they even if he's at the level or if he's in a shallow drop, how many, how many cheap fouls can you pick up by just attacking his hip and just you know getting bumped? I think that'll that'll be a huge thing that we're gonna have to watch in this series as far as the bonus and how many minutes he's able to play because of foul trouble. Because Mike Brown's done a good job of keeping De'Aaron and and Domas at about 30 to 34 minutes a game during the regular season. Now it's playoff time. These guys are probably going to have to be out there for 40 minutes a game, right? So yeah, if, is he going to be able to do that? We'll see because that foul trouble factor, that 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 looms large. I think that's something that the Warriors know that they can certainly exploit. And if they get him into foul trouble and if he's on the bench, they're not going to run their offense the way that they want it. They want it to be ran. So that'll be something to pay attention to for sure. My last X's and O's question for you, uh, Dre, is I asked, you know, I asked uh, Drew how you're going to slow the Warriors down. How do you plan on? How do you think the Warriors are going to plan on slowing the Kings down? Their dribble handoffs, you know, with Demontis Sabonis and Fox. And do you think that with Wiggins just coming back from this long hiatus, it's going to be tough for him to just get back right into the fold and play at the level we saw at the playoffs last year? And do you think that Keegan Murray's ability to stretch the floor is going to hurt Draymond's, you know, kind of free safety help stuff because? The guy can get hot, man, and when those three start falling, that place is going to start bouncing. Yeah, I mean, um, that's a tough question to answer. How would I stop the best offense by at least rating ever? Um, I mean, the motion stuff, a lot of those principles are comparable to what the Warriors run. So that's at least a good thing. At least you can, you know, familiarize and understand, you know, how to get over the, you know, fight over certain screens, force them into certain shot diets and 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 shot concentrations on the floor, dis- distribute it so as to funnel, you know, funnel certain shot selection. But at the end of the day, like you're giving something up. Any any gr- great offensive team, you're giving some something up. So you just got to do your best to to have them kind of eat at the shot clock. You know, rotate on point and on target. Um, I mean, I would probably play, I would switch a lot because, you would know, you we got a lot. Through, would you switch two through five? Like, would you switch clay on a Sabonis? Uh, I would, I would. And then, okay. you know, I, what you, what you would probably do there is cause I, I remember even watching the matchup last night, um, in my live watch, like you got, you know, clay on Sabonis and then you got guys kind of shadowing or digging and then you got to rotate and you got to force them to make a play. And then, you know, Harrison Barnes wasn't, had an open three on that particular possession, Draymond closed out and he missed it. Sometimes he'll hit that shot, but again, you got to give them different looks. You can't. There is no one scheme that you run the entire series or the entire game. You got to give them a, a mixed mixed coverages, and you got to give them different shot selection, shot diets. Because if you're if you try to you know if you funnel the ball to one spot on the court the whole time, like Sabonis is good enough to pick you apart. If you you know go under the screen, Fox is too quick. Like you're going to have to blitz a little bit. You're going to have to, you know, ice, you know, run some ice coverage where you're kind of stunt recovering um, the cat and mouse game force, you know, skip passes and closeouts, like force guys to attack closeouts. There's so many things that you're going to see throughout the series, but I think the, I guess the, the most 
sustainable defensive scheme that they could run would probably be switching and then just rotating. Because you're gonna if you switch more times than not, Sabonis has a has like Clay on him, or Sabonis has even Wiggins on him. You're gonna want to throw help every now and then, and so and then at that point you're in rotation. So as long as right. our rotations are are, are are on point, which see that's the thing is earlier in the season where guys were sw- you know switching or peel switching or you know helping the helper, complete chaos, like no communication, no chemistry, just nobody would I I honestly nobody was playing for each other, just felt like they were dead out there. But now the as of the last month or so, two months. Uh, it feels way more harmonic. It feels way more um, seamless and 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 like they're on a string defensively and and they're helping the helper and they're rotating on time and they're switching. It's almost like, you know, like I said, harmonic. it's it's beautiful. It's almost as beautiful as the offense. So I think defensively, as long as there's communication and as long as that you know they're on the same page in terms of sticking to the to the scheme, I think we can do you know we can at least get away with certain things. But again, the kings are gonna get certain looks. You're just going to have to hope that they miss shots. And that's kind of the game plan against the Warriors, too. The Warriors, you're going to pick your poison. You're going to give them certain looks, and you're going to have to hope that they just turn the ball over or miss open shots at, at, at some point. Uh, with the Wiggins question, um, coming off the bench, I mean, I, I don't really – I'm not too worried about him offensively necessarily. Uh, I think we have enough firepower um, given in, in a playoff setting. I just think, like you said, defensively, it's more so just being you know aware, attentive, focused, sharp, switchable, um, point of attack, that kind of thing. Um, and then, and then rebounding wise, right. Is, can you just get eight rebounds, you know, seven, eight rebounds. And, and if he can just give us, you know, good defensive possessions and a handful of rebounds, I don't care if he gives us 11 points, like, or Mm -hmm. even eight points, like the scoring is not going to be necessarily how I measure him. It's going to be how connected is he on defense? Is he getting beat by his man? Is he not rotating on time? Does he look a step slow out there? Uh, is he not boxing out? Like last playoffs, he didn't really have crazy scoring outputs. Like he was, he was up and down. Right, there were times in the finals where he was great. There were times, you know, earlier earlier on in, against Denver and Memphis, he was up and down. But uh, you know, twelve points, fi- you know, thirteen points, fifteen points. But ultimately, if he can just be a plus defensively and rebounding wise, he'll always be a plus. He's a walking positive, and then. In terms of the Draymond Keegan Murray question, I think you know Al Horford last year in the finals kind of you kind of saw a snapshot of that where you see like when you have multiple spacers on the floor, especially at that four spot, and you got four dudes who are just spacing the floor, then you got the vertical threat of a of a Robert Williams. It just poses some issues, but I think Draymond around game two two ish. Two, two to middle of the series, but depends. But sometimes it takes him a couple games to figure out how you know habits, tendencies, kind of these what players like to go to, what they're, um, you know, if they like to go left, if they like to you know dribble with their offhand and you know step back on the wing. Do they like to go downhill, go middle, baseline cuts, the forty-five cuts? Like, how does their? What are the patterns of of their offense? What are the patterns of these players? And Keegan. He's very good off of curls. He's very good in the spot-up situations. He can move off the ball. He's shifty. Um, and he's a spacer, and he's like 6'8", six, 6'9". Six, like, he's not like 6'5", right? He's a 4. Um, mm-hmm. He's he's a 3'4". So, at that at that spot, like, you got to respect that. He's, he's going to be a spacer out there who's like 38 40% from 3. 
that's a guy you got to keep your eyes on, and you can't necessarily help off of him every possession. Draymond likes to to cheat a bit. He likes to cheat and help off the of guys, leave that corner spot open. But you got to again, and and that's going to be a challenge maybe for a game or two. But by game, you know, four, three, whatever it is, in the middle of the series, he'll kind of get a feel for like what kind of you know maybe he kind of cheats off, baits a pass. And then attacks, and then and forces Keegan to attack the closeout. And Keegan has that, you know, two dribble pull up in his bag. He can he can do things. But is that better than him taking a spot up open three in the corner? For sure. I mean, so it's kind of like Clay, right? You want to run Clay off the line and make Clay create off the bounce. Can he hit that shot? Of course. But you'd rather you'd prefer that outcome. So yeah, I mean, as far as Keegan goes, like Draymond's gonna figure something out, and it's just a matter of as if Keegan can uh, make him pay or not, whatever that looks like. But like, you know, everybody talks about in the playoffs, your, your primary attack is just cut off. Like you're not going to go, you know, the Warriors aren't necessarily going to always get to their spots and their normal, normal actions. Neither are the Kings, neither are the Suns, neither are the Clippers. The question is, are your secondary attacks when you, when you're provided certain looks, you look at the Sun series last year against the Mavs, you're trapping, you know, book, they're forcing Mikhail Bridges and, and Cam Johnson to beat them. Bismack Biombo, top of the key, making decisions. There's a reason why the Suns looked the way they did. They looked like deer in headlights because they weren't put in that position all year. And their primary attack was cut off. So there's no, there's very few teams I can say confidently that are as good in their secondary attack as the Warriors. So we'll, we'll see what happens. But I'm sure Mike Brown is, is very well aware of having counters for you know certain defensive schemes and whatnot and, and how to play out of that. Real quick, you said um, Wiggins is going to start off the bench. So who's starting? Jordan Poole or GP2? Yeah, so I would expect it's not official yet. So I don't want to. I don't want to necessarily uh, report that. But I will say Wiggins is. Ex- I would expect him to come off the bench because he he's going to be on a minutes restriction, twenty to twenty five minutes. He was asked the other day, um, you know, uh, how would you feel about coming off the bench? And he's like, yeah, we, you know, you got to do what's best for the team. Steph, if Steph came off the bench, why can't I? And, and right. he's referring to Steph coming off the bench last year uh, against yeah. Denver, coming off the injury in the same similar uh, kind of pattern uh, for, in terms of recovery and rehab. Although Wiggins isn't injured, but from a uh, ramp-up standpoint. So, yeah, I mean, if, if Wiggins isn't starting, like, um, I'm going to expect Dante to start. Usually, you know, Steve is kind of – just kind of from what I've heard and the whispers and the, the, the suggestive remarks in the pressers and all that stuff, Steve is going to lean Dante starting lineup, just kind of a stabilizing force, a guy who can dribble pass shoot, a guy who can, you know, be okay defensively. He's, he's a good defender. I don't think he's going to stop anyone, but for, if you can get, if he can give us, you know, a solid six minutes to start off the game, that's all we need. And then you got GP two, you got Wiggins, you got Kaminga coming in and you can trust that rotation of POA guys. But uh, yeah, I would fully expect Dante to start if Wiggins isn't, and I don't expect Wiggins to start because of the, what I've heard throughout, you know, different like podcasts and different uh, suggestive things that, you know, in the press conference. Yeah, I think, well, it sounds like the point of attack defense is going to get much better coming off the bench uh, if Wiggins comes off the bench along with GP2. My last basketball like related question, like on court for you, Drew, is I think honestly, this series is going to have a lot of close games. I think there's going to be close. Given that De'Aaron Fox has been so good in the clutch this year, what's your confidence level in him to close out games, maybe outperform Curry at the end of games? Given, though, that this is the playoffs, this is foreign territory for him, 
But I will say, DeMontis Sabonis, Kevin Herter, Harrison Barnes, these guys have tasted playoffs before. And, mm. you know, in Kevin Herter's case, he just went to the conference finals two years ago. But as far as Fox, he is a rookie to this. Do you have the confidence that he can perform on the big stage and, and win some close games and outperform Curry in that last two, three minutes, four minutes? Yeah, now I feel bad because I, I said earlier it was just Delhi and HB that had playoff experience. Uh, Kevin Herter had one of the most legendary moments in playoffs history. I think I think the entire city of Philadelphia hates that man. Yeah, game um, seven, he was big time. Yeah, man, he was crazy. Um, look, I, I will always have confidence in De'Aaron Fox to be the clutch player that he has been this season when when it counts the most in 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 the final five minutes of a of a game that's within five points i expect De'Aaron fox to hunt his shot to get to his spots uh he'll do what 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 needs to be done uh in order to you know at least keep his team hanging around or will his team to a victory like he's done so many times this season but like you said this is going to be in the playoffs and it is going to be against steph curry draymond green clay thompson Steve Kerr on the other on the other side, right? Uh, looking down at him on, uh, from the other bench. So, I, look, <laughs> I I can't say with full confidence that oh yeah he's he's going to he's going to outperform these guys who have been there and done that many many times before. I can't sit here and boldly proclaim that De'Aaron Fox is going to go out there and he's going to make those guys look like they've never even played in a clutch situation before because he's been so clutch this season and that's been his whole signature thing this year. Right. But I I fully expect him to do what he has been doing all season. I, I, I do think that there were a few moments this year where the Kings, they really did. They, they had a chance to clinch against the Minnesota Timberwolves. They, they had a chance to clinch a playoff spot for the first time in 17 years against the Minnesota Timberwolves on, I believe it was March 27th. And it was at home. It was at Golden One Center. I was in the building. That place was ready. That place was ready to just absolutely lose it and I love just it. blow the roof off of Golden One Center. The energy in that place pregame, because I got there real early because I knew it was going to be a mess. Like you, And you didn't want to be late. You don't want to miss player intros or anything like that because the energy was just, it was palpable from even outside the building as you're walking up to it. The Kings laid an egg. They didn't play well. The, 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 the Timberwolves had just played the night before against the Warriors. And they were resting Carl Anthony Towns. And you can make the debate about whether or not that makes the Timberwolves better or not, <laughs> missing one of Rudy or missing one of Carl Anthony Towns. But bottom line is, is they were shorthanded. And the Kings did not play well that night. And then the following Sunday, they had a chance to clinch the division at home against the San Antonio Spurs. Uh, the environment wasn't quite as popping as it was the previous Monday. But you know, you take care of business that Sunday against a team that's missing their three best players and is one of the worst teams in the league. Then you clinch your division in front of your home fans. And those are two moments that stick out to me because there were things at stake, if you will, right? There were there, there were things, there were things that that mattered. Like implications were very clear. Like if you win this game, this happens. And quite frankly, the team didn't play very well as a whole. But looking at specifically Fox and Sabonis, they they just didn't really have it those nights, at least not as much as you hoped they would. And in a way, I'm glad that those things happened, even though it was disappointing for us fans. I'm I'm glad that those things happened because come playoff time, that's every game. <laughs> like you you better you better just you better just get used to it, and you better get over get over the uh, get over the uh, the lights being a little bit brighter quick because you got a, a minimum of four games to play in that environment. You need to get over it. So 
I think that worries me a little bit, especially for the first couple of games. But I would imagine by the middle of the second game, I I I, I can't I can't imagine Fox really having deer in deer in the headlight syndrome for that long, you know, or past that point because you know he might he might need a game to feel it out. But at the end of the day, it's just basketball, and I think Darren knows that. And so I do think that his clutch ability will come to the forefront at some point during this series. I think it will help the Kings win a game or two. Um, I just wonder how long it'll take for him to really acclimate himself to the environment. Yeah. And you mentioned those big games. Uh, another one that was big, what you can find the vlog on the channel was against us, the second highest scoring game ever. I feel like yeah. when you won that game, you solidified a top three seed. It was kind of, I knew that moment we weren't going to mm. get, be able to reach you guys. And, and De'Aaron totally made big shots at the end of that game. I think what's going to be cool about this series is Sabonis for the first time. Like I think he really has some pressure. Like there's going to be a real highlight on him because even though you guys aren't picked to win the series with Indiana, no one really cared. Like, you know no. what I mean? Whereas this is a big deal. Dre, my final question for you all season long, whether it's Draymond, Steve Kerr, this Warriors team has kind of given off this regular season does not matter attitude. And if there's any team that can have that attitude, it is you guys, but you've only won championships as a top three seed. I've always mentioned that when in regards to the Clippers and stuff, do you think that this team this season has the ability to just flip that switch. You get Wiggins back. Curry plays at that level again, you know, best player in the world kind of level, and you can still win the championship, potentially having to play four series on the road. Yeah, I think we could absolutely uh, win the championship, and we could also get caught. Like, I think this year, though, I will say, um, so you want to, we can go back in time and we can look at the 95 Rockets, right? And and they're the exception to the rule, right? They're not, they're not the rule. They're the exception, but they were the, the previous season, I think they were like a top three or four seed. And so they win the title that year. Then the second, then that second season back to back led by Hakeem, you know, uh, they, they kind of let their foot off the gas. They ended up being the sixth seed. Uh, you know, it's funny. I was looking at some numbers the other day. So the, 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 the Rockets that season were the sixth seed and they were 11th in net rating. The Warriors this year are the sixth seed and 11th in net rating. But again, they're the, the Rockets that season, they won the title. They went back to back, but they're the, I think one, they're one of their series against Phoenix, I think went to seven games. They, pick, they uh, came back with three, one down. Yeah. They were three, one down. Yeah. So yeah, like it's not necessarily like people like to bring that up and, you know, back to back, but it's not like they just coasted through the playoffs uh, they're, they're the exception to the rule, but it can be done. History is not on our side. Like right. history, it's just, that's just the facts. When you look at the numbers, the history is just not on our side, right? Six seeds don't usually win titles. Um, you know, the, 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 the defensive rating, the net rating, that kind of thing. Usually teams in the, within top three to top seven ish defense, uh, net rating. Those teams usually win teams within top five or six defensive rating usually win, um, historically. So, yeah, I mean, not taking the regular season seriously, but part of it was also not, you know, there was a point in that in the season where we were just resting guys on back-to-backs. This was like in November, December, January. We were just not playing those games. We're like, look, you guys, you know, we were just giving games away on the road. Um, You know, Clay recently got cleared to play back-to-backs as of like a a month or two ago. Uh, We started to, you know, ramp it up and and play certain lineups and and play a more condensed uh, rotation. And I think we took the when I when I saw the team take it seriously, right? And you can tell based on how they come out, not necessarily makes or misses, but the process, how they, you know, are they moving well? Are they turning the ball over? Are their rotations crisp? Are they, you know, locked in defensively? 
Are they rebounding? Are they, you know, engaged? Body language, like that kind of thing. And the games that I could say, yes, they were. Like, I, I, there was a game against Boston, obviously on the road. We lost that game, but I felt for 3.9 quarters, we played well. And then at the end there, you know, you close with Jordan Poole. This happened. happened. But I was encouraged coming out of that game because Boston was playing some of the best basketball of any team at that point the entire season. And, and to go on the road for a team that, again, the Warriors were just an awful road team all year. And that was, I think, in, uh, what do I want to say, like December, I think that game was. Uh, could have been January. Um, but, but that game was a big game, and I think we came out really well. And that gave me encouragement. There were pockets. There's games throughout the season where I can point to and be like, this team can, still has it. It's just a matter of building those habits and putting it together. The question is, have they had enough time to, to establish those habits, and will they be able to put it together in the playoffs? I think the answer is yes. Um, I'll lean more towards yes from a historical standpoint, but also from this season, you can just I can point to different games and different stretches on at home and on the road where I'm like, okay, this is an encouraging stretch of you know minutes, an encouraging game overall, an encouraging stretch of games that I can say, yeah, I'm confident that this team could this can translate in the playoffs. But also, this team has beaten themselves. So if they, you know, I, this team could very easily have a 20-point lead and blow it because they get too comfortable. They get complacent. They, they turn the ball over. They take some questionable shots. They give up a layup here and open three there. Next thing you know, 12-point game. You know, they get a bit tight, miss a couple shots. Now you blow the lead, right? And, and we've seen this throughout the entire NBA season from all teams. Every team's blown leads because of variance, because teams have just, they're as skilled and the, sh- the shooting is as good as ever. But, um, I've also seen some self-inflicted wounds from the Warriors this season. Uh, not some, a ton. I, I mean, someone did the math like a couple weeks ago, and they're like, yeah, 18 games. We were leading into the fourth quarter, and we just blew the game. Just wow. took our foot off the gas. Um, and this, most of the, a lot of those games were on the road, actually, like against Charlotte, against Miami, against Orlando. I watched um, all those. All those games, man, and, and against Detroit. Like, it, and, you know, Again, it's not just like what the dudes we have now are not the dudes we had early on. Wiseman was just a major, major negative. Um, and that wasn't to any fault, fault of his own. He was just put in a bad, compromising spot he wasn't ready for. Uh, you know, Kaminga wasn't necessarily as polished or as, um, you know, his intuition in terms of the system and the defensive schemes weren't as sharp as they are now. Uh, right. Jordan Poole, Jordan Poole's gained, gained some rhythm. Like earlier, earlier on in the season, he was just not great. I mean, he was missing shots. His shot selection was poor. His defense was very, very bad. But now he's locked in on both ends, and that doesn't mean he's a he's a great defender. But he can at least hold his own for stretches, and that's all we ask. So I just think the numbers are, you know, if the, and I was thinking this throughout the season, like just based on variance and how I saw things shift. Because I'm a numbers guy, but I'm also an eye test guy. You got to do both, and you got to find a way to balance both and see which to throw out, which to balance, which you can take, which you can you know dismiss. And I think this season, based on kind of what I've seen f- across the board, I think this is a year where you can kind of take the numbers uh, at surface level and kind of dismiss them in some ways. If you if you watch a team close enough, you kind of have an idea of what they truly are. And I think the the numbers this season, in terms of you know. Where, they, where a team ranks in terms of defensive rating. Because of the parity this year, 
you can't truly tell because you can't adjust for injuries. You can't adjust for acclimation, chemistry, um, rotations, lineups, uh, all these things that go into it, uh, go into an, uh, an output statistically. You can't, cons- you can't adjust for those factors. And that's reflected in, you know, the Clippers net rating, the Warriors net rating, the, the Kings net rating. Like, you can't adjust for those things, especially in the playoffs. Um, the purest form of basketball is going to be is going to be shown like when you're in the mud and you have to get a bucket like are you able to produce if you have to get a stop two 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 stops in the row because you're down by four can you do that like those type of questions aren't necessarily quantifiable in the regular season so yeah you know it I'm gonna be cautious and I hate this phrase like I hate it because it's a cop out. But I'll be cautiously optimistic, but I'm leaning towards optimistic regardless because I do feel like there hasn't been anything that suggests this season that this team can't win a championship. And so if you tell me you just ha- we, you want to give this core a chance to win the title and they're healthy, I'm taking that chance until the wheels fall off. And um, that's kind of just my standpoint on that. So your answer is yes. This is definitely going to be a flip-the-switch kind of job for the Warriors this season. We saw them catch their stride last year in the playoffs when they didn't end the season perfectly. You had injuries. You had Steph coming back. But they found their stride in the playoffs, kind of used that first-round series against the Nuggets as kind of like a warm-up. This is not going to be the case. I think this this Kings team is going to be much more dangerous um, than that Nuggets team. And But, yeah, as long as you have Stephen Curry, you have a chance. And especially Steph Curry, Draymond, and Clay, who have still not lost a Western Conference series since – Game seven that I attended nine years ago. To end it out, Drew, you mentioned it, 17 years, man. I mean, those first two games, given the Warriors' road record, all you got to do is just not lose a home game. You don't lose <laughs> a home game. You got this series. I think that, you know, talking to Warriors fans, those first two games are going to be massive. If the Warriors get a split, because the Warriors are a great home team too, I think um, the Warriors – actually, you know, isn't it the Kings that – aren't like as good of a home team as you'd expect. That's what I was about to say is yeah. uh, I've made the joke plenty of times this week. Uh, the Kings are going to have to steal a couple of home games uh, in order to win this series. Yeah. They're, they're not, they're not as good as you would expect. Uh, they're not bad though. So that's the thing. I, I, I think it's the most, it's the most confounding thing. The fact that they are the second worst team by defensive rating at home. And, and we have tried around here, we have tried so many different theories and, and, have, and, have, and have proposed so many reasons as to why that's the case. Nobody knows why. Everybody just plays well when they come to Sacramento. I, I have no idea why. Um, and then conversely, the Kings, you know, they have a better road record than than home record. Wow. And and they are, I think, third in offensive rating on the road and ninth in defensive rating on the road. Wow. So the joke has been, yeah, both teams are just going to play horribly at Golden One Center, but when they get to Chase Center, they're both going to play at the, like the two best teams of all time. So, wow. um, you know, with the Warriors being thirty-three and eight at home, you know, and and that's the other thing that's just been so jarring looking at looking at records. Uh, Andre is the fact that like it it really is the complete reverse: thirty-three and eight, thirty-three and eight at home, and eleven thirty on the road. I don't think I've ever seen anything quite like it. Um, so that that'll be an interesting thing to pay attention to for sure. Um, but but I'm with you. Look, I, I, they have to take advantage of the fact that they have home court advantage. I mean that that's what it comes down to. I I do agree. If the Kings split the first two games with the Warriors at Golden One Center, they'll they'll be in a little bit of trouble. I I think going back to Chase Center, um, doesn't matter how well the Kings play on the road. That's I mean you know that's An uphill, uphill battle. Yeah, oh yeah, big time. You know, and and Chase Center gets rocking too. Um, so. 
I, I would I would really, really like to see the Kings take care of business and take advantage of the fact that they do have home court advantage and take those first two games. But obviously, that's a lot easier said than done. So uh, inversely, we'll inversely, though, you know, the way you say if we split, you're going to be nervous. I think if you guys go up to nothing, though, then the Warriors fans will start to get nervous and think, oh, my mm-hmm. God, like, you know, we're going to have to really win a road game to win this series. And it's not mm-hmm. going to be that easy. To finish off, man, you told me you were going to be attending some of these games. Mm-hmm. I mean, let me know the excitement level, what you expect from the fans. I cannot wait. I've been waiting for months for you guys to host a, a playoff game again. Yeah. I still remember 2006 because that was my first year getting into basketball. Like you said, mm-hmm. 99. I still remember being at my grandma's house when Kevin Martin hit that buzzer, <laughs> not the bounce against the Spurs. Yeah. Um, so this is going to be insane. So many people haven't even seen, like my age or younger, haven't mm-hmm. seen the Kings in the playoffs. They don't know what it's like. This is going to be insane. You know, I've been at some some playoff games that will not be nearly the sound of this, but mm-hmm. I can feel when the I've been a part of crowds that it feels like you're literally cha- affecting the outcome of the game. Yeah. I mean, how big is this going to be for the city man, the, the Kings fans to really make this place like an like an earthquake? Yeah, the city's already, I mean, decked out in purple. Uh, murals have gone up, a whole bunch of promotional posters, billboards, all that stuff all around downtown. Um, uh, they're, they're opening up like a playground event type of thing. I, I think right across the street from the arena, basically, uh, they've already got that up and it's open and people are already there checking it out. Uh, they're going to have a rally here in about three minutes, uh, starting in the downtown commons area, right in front of the arena. Uh, yeah, this is just in case you didn't know the city's a little bit excited about this. And, and, and yeah, I, I my, my only fear is that since the tickets have been so expensive and I don't know if you've been looking Andre, but. It's it's more expensive to go to a game at Golden One Center than it is at Chase Center. And I saw we're talking that. To def- yeah. yeah, and this is this is the, the, these are the defending champions we're talking about. It's cheaper for a Kings fan to drive to the Bay Area and go to a game there. Like people want to be in the building. I'm afraid that a lot of the diehards got priced, priced out. out. Yeah, yeah. I, I hope that's not the I hope that's not the case. I hope the the building's still jumping. But I do think that when Kevin Herter hit that eventual game winner against the Utah Jazz back in December, and anybody who was watching that game on their TV, like their speakers just like clipped and like may have, may have blown out. I think ever since that moment, because that clip went viral, like there were so many huge NBA media personalities just tweeting that video out over and over again. And they were just like, don't, don't say anything. Just listen, just listen. And, and if you're wearing headphones, RIP, um, that place (laughs) went nuts it went absolutely like the roof legitimately did blow off that place i have never seen a place get that loud and this is i've I've been to hundreds of games at oak arena where it was the loudest arena in the league for a long long time Um, yeah gold one center has arco arena potential they showed it in that one moment i hope that that sticks around and i hope that that remains the same for this series because they're going to need it and uh the other thing that's tricky about playing the warriors is since these two teams are so close in proximity. I expect right. a lot of Warriors fans to be at Golden One Center, but I also expect the reverse as well to see a lot of Kings fans down in San Francisco for games down there. So, uh, yeah, I, I can't wait, and I, I will one hundred percent tell you. I will report back to you with how the environment is as soon as I step in the building tomorrow at five thirty. So, you got tickets for every game or just game one? Uh, games one and two. Okay, cool. Not not cheap, but not cheap I, at all. Uh, but I but I had to be there. I think any diehard Kings fan was like, I'll pay whatever it takes. I just want to be in the building. So yeah. Yep. So, gentlemen, this was amazing. Definitely the most X's and no savvy duo I've had so far. Um, let pe- the great people know where they can find you, man. Starting with you, Dre. Oh, yeah, man. Um, you could just follow me at, at OnBallSteph on Twitter. O-N-B-A-L-L-S-T-E-P-H, at OnBallSteph. Um, yeah, I mean, I have a live watch. I know uh, uh, Drew's going to go to the game, so 
Uh, I'll be at home on the other side of the country uh, watching the games on playback.tv slash chasing wins. And um, yeah, man, I just appreciate you both uh, having me and having this conversation and, and uh, Drew, right? That that's, uh, that's your name, right? Yep. Um, I'd love to have you on a sp- I, you, you're on Twitter spaces at all or not? Yeah. I used to be on them a lot more, but um, you know, I mean, if you're, you're doing one and you'd love to have me on, Hey, I pleasure to be all mine. No. Yeah, for sure. Um, we, we do a spaces uh, before and after every game. So anytime like you're free, I'll, I'll follow mm-hmm. you. And sure. uh, anytime you like you're free after the game or, yeah, whether it be game one or game four, game six, whatever it is, uh, you know, pop in whenever you're free, whenever you're available. And uh, we'd love to have your perspective on uh, just the game uh, after the game, whenever you want to come in. And you're more than welcome to come in. And we'd love to have uh, you share your thoughts. For sure, man. I appreciate that. All you. Uh, oh, hey, uh, that local guy on Twitter, T-H-A-T-L-0, the zero for the O, C-A-L-G-U-Y on Twitter. And then on Instagram, I don't really post like super basketball, X's and O stuff on there, anything like that. But if you want to, I'm uh, at J-R-U dot E on Twitter. Um, yeah. Hey, thank you so much uh, for having me on, man. This was this was awesome. This was fantastic. You don't have a podcast either because I saw you, you have something in your Oh, bio. yeah. Oh, of course. Man, King's Pokemon's in here. I'm like, yeah, man. Darren, you're the, you're the man. Uh, in the film room, a Sacramento Kings podcast I do with my with my buddy Kings Film Room, who's in the chat, and uh, my other buddy Abe. Uh, go go ahead and give us a go ahead and give us a look. We're on all uh, streaming platforms, um, and then I got a shout out. I got a shout out Meg, who's been in the chat this entire time. She just she just uh, dropped the classic Mark Jones Golden One. The microphone is yours, uh, and Mark Jones is calling Game One uh, tomorrow. So along with Doris Burke. So it's going to be, it's going to be awesome, man. This is something that Kings fans have been waiting for. We're like, Oh, we got Mark Jones as the play-by-play guy. I wonder when he's going to call an ESPN game. And it might've had a chance of happening this past season a couple of times. And then ESPN flexed us out. So now we have finally reached the point where they had no choice. They had to put uh, Mark Jones and DB on a call and it's going to be game one of the first playoff series in 17 years. So can't wait for Amazing. those really happy for those listening at home. It's going to be, it's going to be, it's going to be fun. Predictions, fellas. I got the Warriors in six, probably, but I could, I, I could see it going seven and the Warriors winning, but that would be hard to win a game seven in Sacramento. I'm gonna go with six, safer pick. You guys? Uh, I'm going Kings in six. I'm not even being a homer there. I do think that they they can, like I said, steal a couple of big wins at home, um, and then I do think that for whatever reason they 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 lock in a little bit better on the road and. Uh, I do think that the lack of travel between both cities is huge for both teams. Uh, I think more the Warriors and the Kings since they're a veteran group. Um, right. But I also think that not having that much travel, I mean, I think the level of play in this series is going to be very, very high. It's going to be exceptional. And and I think that as long as the Kings just go out there and, and run their stuff and do what they do, um, I think that they can they can walk out uh, in six games. Andre, I'm guessing you're going Warriors in six? Yeah, yeah. I mean, so it, I guess it's a cop-out. But, I mean, Warriors in six, I mean, I think close it out um and at chase hopefully split the first two win the next two lose yeah. the next one and then win at chase i mean that's yeah that's, that's probably the classic the, yeah that's probably like the the cliche template of how the series would go but i mean who knows man this shit i mean if 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 the kings go up 2-0 we're looking at a seven game series i think so it's going to be amazing. I can't wait for game one. Thank you guys so much for joining me. Please give these guys a follow and check out their own stuff. Great stuff. And you let me know in the pinned comment what your prediction for the series is. Let's see it.